do your homework. It's better to find someone who has gone before you in this, and so don't you don't make the mistakes that uh, other people make because there's a lot of there's a lot of lot of pitfalls. Welcome to the Wealth Matters podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I have with me Mr. Bob Fraser. Uh, he's the founder and principal of Aspen Funds. Uh, and Bob has purchased more than 1,000 mortgage notes, earning double-digit annual returns without the risk and volatility of traditional investing options. By purchasing discounted residential real estate notes in the American heartland, they discovered a high yield liquid asset secured investment that produced consistently superior returns without all the risk. Better yet, they could work with homeowners to help them stay in their home. Everyone wins. Welcome, Bob. It's great to be here with you. Same here. You know, I'm excited so, to be with someone who came from tech background and we'll talk about that because, you know, I, I'm from tech background as well and moved into real estate. So I'm okay. looking forward to this discussion. <laughs> yeah, me too. So tell my listeners about something which we don't know, like something really interesting about yourself. <laughs> well, I'm a pretty boring guy, but... Uh, uh, how about I have uh, seven granddaughters and no grandsons? So. Oh wow! No, that, that's good. And I, I love daughters. I got two daughters, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that we rarely get chance to speak, right? <laughs> uh, that's good. So, how and when did you start in real estate? How early did I get started in real estate? Yeah. How and when? Well, I actually got started uh, just with Aspen about eight eight years ago. So okay. my background is pretty much tech, and uh, and I ran a hedge fund for a while. Did a did ran a tech business for a while. Um, I did I did buy a single condo for rental real estate, and it was it was a disaster. So I'm allergic. <laughs> to real estate. I know a lot of people make a lot of money in there. Uh, not me. Um, so I I. I made every mistake you can make and I hate rental real estate. Um, so, but I love notes. So we, I, I, be, I decided that, or I figured out that being a lean Lord is a whole lot better than being a landlord. Yeah. And, uh, so for me, it's way better. Yeah. I mean, so you are on the other side, you are the bank, right? And then banks. The bank. Yeah. Yeah. They don't lose money. I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so tell us, this is interesting and I, I, you know, I want to relate to this myself and, and basically see your story. So from tech, well, what did you do in tech and how did you end up in, with hedge funds? Well, I, uh, I was a computer programmer uh, for years. I graduated in computer science from UC Berkeley. Uh, oh, right here. Okay, I'm yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah, Bay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved computer programming. I was super talented at it and um, did a lot of cutting edge work and I just, I loved it and then started a tech business, a tech startup. I had an idea, you know, in 1995 and started. Perfect timing. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, good timing is is a gift, right? Uh, yes. You know, as I as I say, you know, uh, you know, you want to know what time it is. You know, it, it, when the tide comes in, all boats float, right? Yes. When the tide going out, all boats sink. Yeah. Then, then you're the naked, right? Starting <laughs> a dot com business in the late '90s is a good idea. You know, even if you have a bad idea, it's going to yeah. be. Yeah. It's it's like right now, right? <laughs> Last five years. Exactly. Yeah, so, so actually, I became passionate about understanding timing and understanding oh, okay. what what the macroeconomic picture is. So I've I've become a a you know a student of economics. I've been writing an economic newsletter for many years because I I don't want to fight the tides. I want to know what the tides are doing, and when the right. tides are with you, you can make mistakes and you'll be fine. And yes, yes. No, and, that's a that's a great point. When the tides are against you, it doesn't matter you what, can't do you, it. how smart you are and how right yeah. you are. You're gonna really struggle. Yeah, and okay. and, and we know about uh, you know Netscape and you know MySpace and Alta, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. So so I started a, a business in my attic with my sister-in-law in 1995. Raised $100,000 from mom. Wow. You know, thank God for mom. And it blew up. We ended up having 300 employees, raised $44 million in venture capital, wow. and became the fastest growing business in the Midwest region of the United States in the late 90s by revenue. We were doubling in size about every three months, doubling revenues at one period. And um, so it just really blew up. And, uh, and then I ended up winning the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Hired all these, you know, all these, you know, well-heeled uh, resumes and super talented managers. And and what happened through that, I kind of got an education in uh, in finance, and really really have a passion for finance and economics. So so I started really working as a CFO after that, you know, and. Uh, um, you know, and uh, became a professional investor for a while, and then, uh, and then, then started Aspen. Nice. So, uh, tell us about your newsletter regarding uh, the economic newsletter. I, I would like to subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we basically do right now. With the way we do that is, uh, we I do a quarterly update, economic update. I've been doing this for you know I don't know many many years, and. Um, uh, we send that to our investor base, um, but also to, you know, we do make it public. Um, and if you're interested, you can go to aspenfunds.us, which is our website, and uh, and I believe it's posted there. Um, and we can give it to your to your uh, to your listeners in the show notes. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, it's it's you know, it has not it has not uh, led me astray. Um, you know, I I basically pay a lot of it. I, do real economic analysis, and the news is not your friend. The news right. doesn't always <laughs> tell you what's right, and and you need to look at the numbers. So I go and do research. I look at the numbers. I've I've said you know since 2013, I said real estate is gonna be uh, is gonna be the major winner. Um, since 2013, I literally pinged the bottom of the market. Uh, I I in uh, early early. 2011, I believe, I, I said this, the, the Great Recession or this real estate recession was, was going to last six years, which is exactly what it did, all based on, on research that I'd done. And, and, uh, and it's all been true. So I said inflation is going to stay low for, for, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, and so I've made a number of predictions that have actually proven out uh, quite true. And if you act on them, quite lucrative. So... So uh, you know, and it's and uh, 
you know, with COVID, I just, I predicted, I, I said, we're, it's not going to be V-shaped recovery, but it's going to be close. And, you know, again, all based on, on different, different research that I had done. So then it's all, it's all proving out, you know, I was right. very concerned that they didn't do the, if they had not done the stimulus. Oh and yes. That, that was huge. We would, we would be, we would be getting ready for great depression. Right. And, right. Um, and, uh, you know, same thing in 2009. So a lot of people are predicting hyperinflation, a lot of people, but it, they're just, they're wrong on, uh, you know, so uh, I, I look at data and, you know, I, I'm one of those guys, because I'm a computer scientist, right? I don't, I don't really care about opinions, including my own, you know, right. <laughs> I really care about data and facts and, uh, yep. you know, Got it. So uh, tell us about, you mentioned landlord. What is a landlord and how does that work? You know, cause I, I'm a landlord, right? So, but I do know. So can you explain it to my listeners? I pity you and all those, all those poor landlords who, uh, who have to answer the calls at midnight and the plumbing and fine renters and all that, but um, discover termites. So all that happened to me, but um, anyhow, a lien lord, as you pointed out, is the bank. Um, when is the last time you called your bank when your plumbing failed? Um, you know, so so being a being a lien lord is the bank. So instead of somebody, pay, you know, sending us rent, you know, our 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 borrowers are their their uh, borrowers, their homeowners who borrow, and they send us monthly mortgage payments. So we get the cash flow. And uh, and none of the headaches. So how do you start buying notes, right? Because I'm always uh, you know fascinated about it, and and there are a lot of ways. You know, you can of course use sites like Paperstack, and there are a lot of other uh, sites too. Paperstack's uh, a great choice. We actually sell notes through Paperstack. So. Oh, okay, okay. So there's a, there's a great choice. They have a good process. You know, um, you know, you need to do your due diligence. Um, you know, and, uh, but they're very lucrative. So how do you buy in bulk, right? Let's, let's just say if someone wants to really grow, uh, do you work with banks, credit unions? How, how does that work? What's the process? Almost all these are come through different relationships that we have, um, primarily hedge fund sources. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, we have two strategies, but I want to talk about our reperforming fund where we buy performing notes. So these are, these are people that maybe they had trouble a while back, but now they're paying. Maybe right. they have a loan modification, and they're back on track. It's working. They're sending in monthly payments. So, so these are these are good notes. These are this is good paper. And, and sorry to interrupt. So, uh, non-performing are where the you know t- you know the borrower is not paying, right? That and not, and performing not. are where they are paying, and re-performing is they had some yeah, issues, exactly. and now they're back on track. And, and and we buy both, but I'm going to talk about this reperforming strategy. So we buy them, but we we buy them at a discount. Right. And and so we generally buy them from hedge funds that reperform them. So they buy non-performing loads, they get the borrowers back on track, and then they they flip the notes out once they repair the note. Well, we'll buy those. Um, so primarily, our, our sources are hedge funds, and okay. uh, who who basically have repaired the notes. And we, we get them at a discount. We, we love, I would rather own a second mortgage than a first mortgage. Again, defies traditional logic. Really? Not, yeah, because I have been told, you know, 
of course, took, took some, uh, you know, note classes uh, from Addie Speed, right? And I have been told that you want to start with only the first mortgage. So why, okay. why do you prefer that's, second that's, mortgage? I love that because you leave those for me and I can make all the money. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's great. You know, and, and it just shows there's so many ways to make money. And Eddie Speed's not wrong. I mean, there's, there's, there's money to be made there. Right. But I'll tell you why I love seconds. Okay, so let's say there's a $300,000 house mm -hmm. and it has a $100,000 first, first lien paying 3%. Right. Okay, and it has a $100,000 second lien that's paying 8%. Right, always it's higher, right? <laughs> okay, so it's always higher. Well, and a lot of cases it's more than double. Right. Okay? And so if I were to buy that $100,000 first lien, I would probably have to pay $100,000 for it or really close. Oh, right. And my yields would be, maybe my yields would be three, four, maybe if I could yeah. just count my yields would be four, okay? And if I foreclose, I would get, or if that something happened, I would get 100% of my capital back fine, but I make no yield. Now, if I bought a second, well, believe it or not, that second mortgage is gonna sell. I could buy that $100,000 second mortgage for let's say $60,000. Okay. Okay, and, so and sorry to interrupt again. So that- the coupon rate is eight, I'm actually making, uh, 13%. Oh, I see. So I get a yield. Okay. But that's not even the best part. Okay. Not even the best part is getting these great yields. You want to do the best part of having a second? Of course. <laughs> okay. It's when he sells or refinances that house. Oh, so really? New loan, both those liens are paid off. Right? Yes. And I get, I get a hundred thousand dollars right. to pay off my loan. But I only paid sixty for it, so I made uh, a forty thousand profit. Yeah, the huge so, lump sum. Yes, I wanted. I want to do a deal with you, Alpesh. You buy all the first and leave all the second. <laughs> okay, and uh, so you can earn your four percent, three percent, and I will earn my fourteen plus a kicker. So, but what happens? And again, this is what I have heard, right? if that person forecloses, right? Most of the time you end up foregoing the second lien. That's what I've heard. This first lien gets the precedence. Okay, well, who forecloses, okay? So you're, you're saying, let's say, here's the scenario I believe you're painting. So the, the, the borrower stops paying both notes. Mm -hmm. Is that the scenario? Yep. Okay, so the first mortgage forecloses. Right. All right. Well, so that home sells at a discount for $220,000 and I sit back and collect, you know, it, the first loan is going to get first money out, second lien gets the second money out, and then the, the homeowner is going to get what's ever less. And in that case, I would do absolutely nothing and I would collect my $100,000 payoff. Right. But okay, let's say now, it's let's, already let's, underwater. Let's say, there's, <laughs> let's say it's, a, it's another scenario. Let's say let's say he stops paying. Well, then I would initiate foreclosure before the first. So, and, and foreclosure is, is, a, is a legal collection action. Right. And at that point, um, now I basically would, you know, I control that real estate. I can do a lot of things. In fact, one of the things that people don't, aren't even aware of in most states, I have, I, have a, I have reinstatement rights I can, on the first mortgage. So I can actually write a check every month to the first mortgage having on So actually before I foreclose, I keep that senior loan in place, even though oh. the is no longer in the house. Wow. The bar still owes the money, but he's not paying the money 
I'm paying the money. So it's, I, it's bizarre, okay? But I've done it. I've so it's, it. it's like subject to or something. But in, in this yes. case, just and the borrower hasn't signed or financing. So I did this in Los Angeles with an eight hundred thousand dollar house and had a, had the senior mortgage in place while we basically rehab the property and I'm paying a monthly payment to a borrower that I or to a lender that I do not know. <laughs> and the, what do they care? The check is coming right. in. Yeah. And then I flipped that thing out and made a, made a bundle of money and, and it cost me nothing, but really, you know, so, so worst case scenario, or, you know, with the truth is as a, as a, with a foreclosure, you can do a lot of things. So as a second, I would control the short sale. So you go, you can go find a, find a buyer, a wholesaler, if you like, um, you can, you can let it go at auction. You can take control of the property and rehab it yourself. Uh, you can do a short sale. There's a whole lot of things you can do. So now it becomes a real estate play. But generally, being a lien lord is not a real estate play. Okay, I think I think in in my current performing portfolio, I have about 500 loans right now, 500 notes, and I I, I think I've taken possession of a property once. Wow. Um, so it's not that common. Oh so, yeah, yeah, it's it's you know, rare. And I've had of all. I think I have, uh, you know, maybe half a dozen non-performing notes, half a dozen in there, um, that, you know, and and I, I choose. I can foreclose. I can take possession of the property and let it go at auction. There's a lot of things you can do. But generally, getting wiped is not is doesn't happen that often. Um, and let's say the first. Let's say I've, I'm asleep, and the first forecloses. But as soon as I learn about it, generally there's a notice requirement. So when they, when the first begins foreclosure, notice of sale, um, you know, notice of default, notice of sale, I get notified because if I'm on record, you got to make sure you're, you're right, of course, recorded properly. Well, at that point, now I have an option. So the first, the first is foreclosing. One, I can do nothing. And if there's a lot of equity, that's what I do. I'll let it. Yeah. Take process I get paid off now if there's not a lot of equity and I and I I believe that you know that I can make some money on this or that I can protect my position I will I can have a couple choices I can one bid at the auction with a protective bid you know so just to cover my cost basis or I see my profit objective okay and let it go there now I may win I may win win back the bid okay at that point my second lien is wiped out and the first lien is in place you follow I me? See. Yes. Okay. The third option, the third option I can do is I can reinstate the first. So I, as soon as I write a check to the first, that first foreclosure is canceled. Ah. And what does it change to me? It doesn't cost me anything. I just now increased my, I increased my cost basis, but I also increased my equity by this, by this exact same right. amount. You follow me? So it's, it, it, it's, it doesn't cost me anything really it's, it's cash flow um and then i initiate my own foreclosure so if right. i i want to have my own foreclosure i want to control the process um because then i don't have to bid so if i bid at auction i have to come with a pile of cash generally right. a reinstatement a reinstatement you know costs me very little um you know, 20 grand 30 grand 50 grand got it so, so there's a lot of options you have and attorneys by the way are they'll tell you all walk you all through this so <laughs> find, a, find a good attorney and you know it's not that big a deal right because uh, mostly i have seen where and i had an example where one of my friend uh he his property was worth half a mil the first lien was 300 something the second was 100 
And, you know, uh, when the market crashed in California, the, now the property was worth 400, right? Uh, or little less than 400. He reached out to second lien that I'm going to just do a short sale. And Wells Fargo said, okay, yeah, you can, uh, you know, write us a check of 10 grand instead of 100 grand, which you owe us. And we'll forgo the second lien. And that's what they did. Wow. <laughs> Our guy, you know, I mean, timing yeah. is everything, you know? Yeah, and that's what, and I'm like, wow, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we bought a bunch of second mortgages and the guy says, I was, I was offered, you know, 10, you know, I was, uh, this previous lender offered, you know, offered me $5,000 to wipe out this, this lien. And now you're telling me I should pay 50. I'm like, well, you should have taken it. You know? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know? Those are big banks, you know, they don't want to go through all and the process, right? They don't. They, they, don't. they don't. So, yeah, I mean, that's just being, being financially savvy, you know, you can, you can definitely, you know, uh, make sure you're, you win, you know, and know what your options are at least. So, so are you, are you buying notes right now? And, and absolutely. like which, which markets uh, uh, do you prefer? <laughs> well, every market, every okay. market. Yeah. So, so you do not focus on certain states because I've heard that the laws are different in like New York, California, you know, some of the states. The Alpesh, there's, no, there's no such thing <laughs> as, a, as a bad loan. There's only a bad price. Okay. So, so I buy all over the United States. Okay. But we do price things differently. So a, a New York loan, we discount it because it's got a you know three to four year foreclosure process and oh yes extremely difficult lender laws you know and right now with the covid there's a lot of covid delays the, the courts are now forbearance yeah there's a lot delays yeah. everything yeah. and um so we we pay a lot of attention to that and it just changes the price we're willing to pay for the note i see so it depends by the state right when the price yeah, absolutely and and we look for a good note. We want to, we want to see a good borrower, but basically we, we treat them like hard money loans. So we look primarily at the property. We look at the asset and the encumbrances and make a decision. Is that the loan we want to own? And then against, against the price, the, the yield and the, and the, the uh, long-term payoff, the discount, you know? Um, so it's purely a numbers game. Right. Yeah. And numbers don't lie. <laughs> so uh, one more question regarding your investment criteria like when you're looking at the note um, do you look at the UPB unpaid balance uh, is there a criteria the broker price opinion BPO is there a criteria absolutely you... we look at everything yeah it's a little bit more complicated than buying real estate okay oh, yes <laughs> okay because you have to do I have to do everything you would do for real estate underwriting Okay, you've got to you got to get the the broker price opinion. You need to look at the property, the market, and make sure this is in the in if if I end up getting this property as a property, I can do something with or not. Mm. Um, number one, but then you add to that, I need to I need to have understanding of the state. You know, is it a judicial or a or a non judicial state? Mm. Changes the time frames dramatically, foreclosure time frames, and what is the foreclosure costs? And but all that's public. You can get all that information. Um, and then, and then, uh, but now if you're buying a second, you need to understand the, the first lien. Super important. Is that oh, really, okay. You know, is it, is this, is this, uh, you know, what's the condition of the senior lien and what's the balance? So if someone had a modif modification, you can think they have a hundred thousand dollar loan when they actually have a $200,000 loan. Okay. So it makes a big uh. difference. What's ahead of you. So you need to understand the, the senior loan. And, and, uh, so we're, we're experts at doing that you know, figuring out 
um, you know, what's the condition of the, of the senior loan. And then the final thing is the borrower, are they likely to pay? Um, so. So can you talk about uh, one of your best deals so far? Sure. Um, well, let me see. We just, we just, uh, uh, we just had, we had a guy who we bought this loan. I, I, I think it was, uh, you know, 2014 and uh, we bought a loan. I think it was, he was, he was, we were earning about, uh, 14% uh, yield on oh, us. Oh, wow. Okay. It was, it was a second lien. He had, he, he was a mail carrier and he lost his job and I had some medical bills. And so he got off track. He got back on, back on track and, uh, he started paying again. We end up buying this note from him and he paid for four years. Uh, I think $24,000 over the course of four years in principal and interest payments. And then he, he had, af after four years, had gotten enough of, you know, his financial life back on track. His credit score was good. He refinanced yeah, yeah. and paid us off. And we made another $20,000, $25,000 on a, I believe it was a, you know, uh, you know uh, the note was a $30,000 note. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> It was, we paid 30 grand for it. So we, we did, we did very well on that. And he wrote us this great letter and said, thank you very much for, for taking care of me and, you know, and, you know, not kicking me out of my house and, you know, we're just, everybody wins. We're happy. He's happy. That's awesome. What was your worst deal and what did you learn from it? Well, my, you know, my worst deal. Okay. I got, uh, I, I bought a loan in, um, it was in Mississippi and didn't understand that it's called the rocket docket state. You can actually foreclose and I believe it's something like 60 days to foreclose. Oh, wow. Okay. And there's no noticing requirements. Fast. So really the first one. So, so, so we were getting paid. So the lady had the second mortgage on ACH. And oh. We, getting, we had no idea something was wrong. Wow. And we were getting paid. All of a sudden, we, the payment stopped. We, we figured out the first foreclosed. They had, they never, we would, had no noticing requirements. Right. And, um, and, uh, uh, and it was foreclosed in like 60 days and we had no, we had no idea. So, so at, the, at that point, we, we basically dug a little deeper and, you know, understand that, Hey, we, we, we want to do risk management and, and touch the senior note on a quarterly basis, at least to make, make sure everything is, even if everything seems good, but right. it was a $20,000 loss. So it was pretty much immaterial. Um, right. Yeah. You know, in the, in the scheme, in the grand things. scheme of things. Yeah. But, it, but it's still <laughs> just one of those things that just pisses you off, you know, right. <laughs> you know getting creamed like, like, like that and understanding that, I mean, the state laws are just so different from right. understanding what your risks are when you're, when you're buying that. And uh, you know, so we learned about the rocket docket and uh, how quick you can go to foreclosure and that there's no noticing requirements. It's unbelievable, really. So normally I'm required to be served, you know. Right. That's interesting. So last question before we take a quick break. Do you only focus on single family notes or is it all over? We love single family. Okay. Love single family. It's, it's part of my investment thesis, um, you know, right now you're seeing massive cap rate compression on pretty, yes. every, pretty much every asset class, but not single family. If you look at single family, because of the, of the, the real estate crash, 
2006 to 2013 you know, uh, crash, um, housing prices are massively underpriced. And, and I, I, can, I can give you that whole thesis another time, but why, why single family homes are massively underpriced. And it's not true of pretty much every other real estate class. Okay? I see. So we definitely favor single family. But, but do you think that uh, single family houses are still underpriced in coastal markets like New York, yeah, well, San Francisco? Because yeah. it's, it's been crazy here. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I think there's some markets where I would, I would say that's not. They're yeah, not and they got to correct at some point because it's just unaffordable for, you know, common people. Yeah, well, but so is Tokyo and so is, I mean, you know, right, the, London and, density yeah. and urbanization is a relentless trend and it's going to con, going to continue. But here's some of the things I, I look at. I mean, there's been almost no new single family construction, you know, since since 2006. OK, no new housing starts and single family housing starts and very, very few. And the reason is, right, for 15 years ago, you could buy a piece of land you could build a house on it, yes. sell it, and make money. Today, you can't do that. You, you, you can't do that. Why not? Inflation. Inflation. Yes. So during the 14 years, inflation has continued on this relentless trend. Okay, But housing prices have not continued. They've, they've gone, they did a massive crash, 35% national average, and then have been trying to catch up, but they're still not even close. So the, basically, housing prices have not kept up with inflation. And the reason I know that is because if I bought a piece of land today, I built a house, I would sell it, I would lose money. Okay. Yeah. Because the cost has gone up. Lumber, labor. Oh, lumber's gone up like crazy yes. in the last six months, even. And, More than and, doubled. <laughs> and so there's the problem. So you've got no new no new supply, right? <laughs> Prices are controlled by supply and demand. Yep. There's virtually no supply. Okay. And, and, and demand continues to grow because we have population growth. Right. So, so we, you've, got, you've got demand increasing, supply decreasing. You have what we have now, you know, massive housing shortages, you know, and uh, bidding wars, you know. Um, add a few other fundamentals. In, in like like the, one of our, our favorites is, you know, price to rent ratios. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the Midwest region right now, I, I can, you know, a principal, I can buy a house. The principal and interest payment is half equivalent run I can rent that place for. Half. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Like it's, it's other way around here in my part of the world. That's, that and it's, that's, it's, it's that's double. Another sign <laughs> that it is, that is underpriced. So, so there's a lot of underpriced markets now, now there are overpriced markets and, and you know, where, where the, where the rents are half of principal and interest payment and those, I would not be buying it. Yeah. And, but, but uh, so based on a lot of valuation metrics, you know, we're very bullish on the housing price add, add to the fact that you have, you know, record low mortgage rates and and what's more they're going to continue low because the reason they're low is because the federal reserve is buying mortgages yeah, okay and, and and they don't have choice you know <laughs> they don't have, and guess what they're going to and next tick up they're going to buy more yeah. and the next tick up after that guess what they're going to do they're going to buy more mortgage rates yeah, are low and and, and print money <laughs> and and number number 4 you think about the negative interest rates happening in Europe in Asia you know um so if you're if you run a pension fund and you have a billion dollars and your billion euros sitting there and you're paying a bank you know uh, ten million dollars a year, 
to store your to store that. You know, that's unheard of. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, you're going to do anything but that. Yeah, you got to invest. Very well. You are going to You're going to buy a currency swap. Yeah. You're going to invest in the U.S. stock market or in some stock market. Yes. You're going to invest in U.S. real estate. That is creating a massive, massive liquidity wave uh, across the planet. That, that's a great point. Yes. So I've I've told everybody. I, I I said back up the truck and buy assets. Right. You know, um, all assets. He's which assets? All yeah, assets. Yeah, everything. Every asset is, is going up. And you know all the latest stimulus packages, all that liquidity is going into. Oh yes, and Big you know time. so in the past, you know easy money policies have produced high inflation, and that's why they end up you know raising interest rates to cool the market down. Today, and if you look what happened, they printed 3.7 trillion dollars in in money in 2008, 9, 10 timeframe. The Federal Reserve did and purchased notes, and it did not cause hyperinflation. Okay, but it did actually cause inflation, but not consumer price inflation. Let's divide no, inflation yes. into two, two pieces. Consumer price inflation and asset price inflation. Yes. And guess what? It caused didn't cause consumer price inflation, and it, and yep. it will not anymore as well. No. Nope. It did cause asset price inflation, which is called homes and stock market going up. We like asset price inflation. Right, right. And, yeah, and that's that's another yeah great point because as consumers and when people talk about inflation, they always look at CPI, right? Consumer yes. price, and they don't look at asset price inflation. Right. And I, I keep telling them that is inflation. You just don't want to see it. It's, it's inflation that <laughs> but it's good. And let's have more of it. And yeah. and unfortunately, you know, people say, why are the rich becoming richer and the poor becoming poor? Well, it's really simple. It's asset price inflation. The rich people own assets, and the poor yeah. people. Don't they're and buying assets. That's, yep. that's the issue. And guess what? The policies today are going to continue that trend. Yes. Why aren't we why aren't we seeing this go into consumer price inflation? Well, here's here's the big three. In wages, energy, and food mm. that drive consumer prices. Wages, energy, and food. Are wages gonna go up dramatically? Well, no. Why? Globalization, automation, yeah. right? Energy prices. Are energy prices going up dramatically? No. Nope. No. Why? Why not? Well, one conservation is working. If if you look at consumption, is nearly flatlined in the Western world. Believe it or not. Yeah. And energy, oil prices, and production is is record breaking. Do you know who the yes. largest oil producer in the world is today? Who? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. U.S. is is the United States the world's yeah. largest. Yeah. It's not even the eye. Doesn't need why to even import. Fracking. <laughs> So, yeah. so Alpesh, what happens when Saudi Arabia starts fracking? What happens when Saudi Arabia? Oh yeah, fracking? yeah. We've 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 seen the end of hundred dollar oil. We will never ever see it again in our lifetimes. You know, and food. We have the same thing. We have you know the the production per hectare of food is is at an all time high, and it continues because of biotechnology advances. But bottom line is we have systemic deflationary pressures in all of consumer prices except the housing component of CPI you know and that's tied that's tied to rents which are capped so so it it's very limited CPI is just going to be tame for a while and bottom line is with that with CPI tame they're free to keep rates at the floor yep. Yep. and so get ready party on and uh, <laughs> back up the truck and buy assets okay let's take a quick break <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am chatting with Bob Fraser regarding being a landlord and how you can control uh, being a bank. So, uh, Bob, are you ready for the fire round? Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after coronavirus? Uh, no, we were uh, pleasantly, you know, uh, uh, pleased with with our with our performance through COVID, it continues to do just fine. And and if anything, we have more interest in our models and our strategies right now, and they're proven to be working. That's great. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book? Um, you know, I've recommended quite a lot uh, to people. The E Myth. Uh, oh yes, is really about being entrepreneurial and a great book. No, you mean it's great. Yeah, I love that book. Uh, any tool or website you recommend or you can't live without? Yeah, absolutely. And this this may be more more the nerd in me, but uh, I'm a I'm an analytical machine. I love analyzing everything. And the tool I use is Microsoft Power BI, Power Business. Oh Empowered. yes, it is crazy. It I've is for the nerds. Yep. <laughs> I'm tied into all of my data on spreadsheets oh. on and on, and so I can see returns. I, I see returns over time. I know, I know legal costs by property. I know how much each each uh, different source is making us. So I just run analytics like crazy. And so all the KPIs, uh, all the KPIs, and it's it's <laughs> super. It's almost free, and yes, it's that's an incredibly powerful tool. Oh, thank you for sharing. Any advice for beginner investors? Yeah, do your homework. It's better to find someone who has gone before you in this, and so don't you don't make the mistakes that uh, other people make because there's a lot of there's a lot of lot of pitfalls. Right. Any uh, and how do you give back? Well, I do. I do have a little group in my home. We meet once a month of entrepreneurs and reformers who are, who you know want to change business practices for the better. And so we meet once a month with young entrepreneurs and it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. I had fun chatting with you. How can my listeners reach out to you? Uh, Aspen funds, F U N D S dot U S Aspen funds dot U S. Okay. I'll put that in the show note. Thank you, Bob. Take care. All right. Pleasure to be with you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.